Let's uh, take our Bibles now. We're going to go back to the book of Proverbs. We began our study last week in Proverbs, and we will continue. And today is, um, today's lesson, today's message is a somber one because it is about fear. Fear, and specifically the fear of the Lord. America does not fear God. Many Christians do not fear God. It's been taught for so long that God is not a God to be feared. He is a loving God, and he, he wants to uh, help you in your life. And uh, we've gotten to the point where we've air-conditioned hell. We've closed the lake of fire and renovated it and turned it into an Airbnb and done away with judgment and consequences and, and chastisement. But the problem with that is you can't get what you need as a believer without the fear of the Lord. You can't get what you need as a person without the fear of the Lord. And he tells us here in Proverbs chapter 1 how important it is. A wise man, verse number 5, will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Now, he said he was going to help us understand a proverb. In fact, the first proverb is found in verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice in this verse, there is a contrast, and the contrast is something that continues throughout the entire book of Proverbs. He gives a truth, but, and then the contrasting truth. And it's kind of like your, your, your sock drawer, if you're like me. I'm not quite sure what color that, that sock is because it's either navy blue or it's midnight blue or black. I can't tell. Is it charcoal? And so I'll take something that I know is black. Let's say I have a black uh, pair of pants and I'll put it next to those socks, and I can tell what color it is. Uh, why? Because I'm not a woman. I don't understand automatically what colors are all of them, you know? And uh, so I don't always see and, so, and some people, you know, we, 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 we have to have the contrast. We just have to know. Is that really sweet? Uh, there are certain things that are just over-the-top sweet. And, but, but some people like that contrast of salty, and it helps you to uh, be able to tell what you're actually tasting. That's what he does here in verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as you're going through this, as you're reading Proverbs, as we're studying Proverbs together, you can easily, you can easily understand what he's saying by contrasting. So what kind of a person does not fear the Lord? It's a person who is a fool, number one, a person who does not like to be told what to do. They despise instruction. Don't tell me what to do. And how do, how do you know if you're that kind of person? Well, you know really easily when someone tells you what to do. And then you can feel your hackles come up. And, uh, it, and you can feel that pride that says, you're not telling me what to do. I know as well as you do. They despise instruction. 
The more you despise instruction, the more of a fool you are, and the less of the fear of the Lord you have. Do you see that? It's so easy. How do you know whether you fear God? You know by whether you like people. Uh, you're not like. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say that. He didn't say you had to like that in that sense. If you despise people telling you what to do. Now, I'm number seven out of ten. I've told you that many times. I had a lot of older sisters, and I didn't like being told what to do. And uh, it's just, I didn't like it. And you know what's interesting? As you go through life, you realize, oh, just because I was able to successfully evade their authority doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to get away from everybody else. You know, it's like the classic thing. Somebody says, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, so he joins the Marines. You want to get away from instruction. And some people say, well, it's just, it's, it's harsh. It's too overbearing. It's, it's oppression. Maybe it's just your pride that doesn't want to be told what to do. And you, you know, if you have a struggle with that, you can know for sure that you also, to some degree, have a problem with God. You don't like God telling you what to do. Now, some people say, I ain't got no problem with God. I love God. God's the best. Yeah, as long as he does and says the things that you want him to do and say. As long as you're always going the same direction anyhow. But you know what's interesting? Some people will actually say, um, I stopped believing in God because my mother died. Because I lost a spouse. Now, certainly it's a tragic scenario. But what's wrong? As long as God is doing what I want him to do, it's okay for him to be in charge. But if, that is, if we're ever at cross purposes, I want to go this way, God wants to go that way, he's just not really a good God. In fact, I don't even believe in him anymore. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's where we start. If you can get a man afraid of God, he will open up his heart to God. But if a man says, I don't want anything to do with God, he, it's because of his pride. Now, in the, book of, in the book of Genesis, we find the first mention of fear in any form. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and it's where God is calling unto Adam, and he says to Adam, where art thou? Remember that? And Adam responds, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was, what's the word? Afraid. Afraid. This, this, by the way, we don't use this as an adjective. It's, it's technically an adjective, but it's, it's so common that it actually stands alone as if it were a noun. And, and largely due to the King James Bible using it, it became so popular. It, it, it very rarely do you have a, an adjective that stands alone by itself. But here he said, I was afraid. Man is motivated by fear. Adam was afraid. What was he motivated? He was impressed with fear. What made him afraid? He was naked. Isn't that why we wear clothes? I don't know about you, but most animals I've seen, they don't wear clothes unless someone puts them on there. They're not looking for something to hide them. They're not embarrassed. They're not ashamed. Humans are afraid of being exposed, and rightfully so. Where did that come from? It it came from sin. Where it came from in Genesis chapter 3. Adam here is afraid of God, and so he runs, okay? 
uh, why do we drive on the right side? Why don't we just drive wherever we want? Well, we're afraid of getting hit or hitting someone. Why, why do we have insurance? We're afraid of losing everything that we possibly have. You know, they say a lot of advertising uh, is built on fear. Because what it's doing is it's, it's the fear of the, uh, the target customer uh, losing something, maybe that, that customer not having something that somebody else has. You know, the, 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 the common thing today is fear of missing out. And so people want to make sure that they're connected, they have what they want, they have what they need. Um, how many of you have ever seen an ad like this? There's a home security company, and, uh, and it shows, it goes in black and white, you know, and it shows a shadowy figure uh, sneaking around a house. And the idea is, these people are everywhere, they're coming into your house, and if you don't have our security system, they're going to get your stuff. And uh, in some cases, that happens. But they use fear in order to get you to purchase their product. Or how about auto insurance company? Haven't you ever heard someone say something like, uh, you, you see a guy driving down the ri- uh, river, down the road, and, um, and, and all of a sudden, he's driving a new car, it's beautiful scenery, all of a sudden, Bam! He gets hit, and, and the voice comes on and says, um, every 17 seconds, a person uh, is hit by an uninsured driver. You need to make sure that you have uh, your insurance is up to date, that you have the proper insurance. What are they doing? They're, they're trying to motivate you to buy their product by using fear. Or here's one you've, I'm sure you've seen. Uh, mom is cleaning in the kitchen, and she is, uh, she's wiping things down. And all of a sudden, the blue light filter goes on, and you see how disgusting it actually is. And they say, you need to buy our product, because look at how much our product. We clean 99.9% of germs. And if you don't get that, you will have that 0.01%, and it will kill you. Right? It's, uh, it's fear. It's fear that's being used to motivate you. Fear has always been used to motivate. But the fear of the Lord actually releases you from the fear of other things. It's amazing. You see, the the pagan heathen religions, they say, you had better make a sacrifice to God because if you do not, he will destroy you. He will hurt you. He is not happy. That's why there's no uh, rain. That's why our harvest was bad. Uh, That's why your child is sick. It's because... God up there is mad. And so people live their lives. And all you have to do is go to specifically countries in in West Africa. I know many of them are animistic. uh, And they're very concerned with pleasing the spirits. Making sure those spirits are taken care of. And they talk about curses. I've been cursed. I'm under the curse. And the whole idea is entire societies are controlled and gripped by fear. Now, we have fear in America, but fear, we have fear of other things. And that fear that we have is a direct result of a lack of fear of God. Take your Bibles and look at chapter 14 of Proverbs, 14.26. 14.26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. What does the scripture say? The fear of man bringeth a what? A snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. 
So you either fear the Lord or you are going to fear other people. In the fear of the Lord, you struggle with confidence. That means that you are not fearing God in the way that you ought to. Let me give you an example. If God were to hand you, physically hand you a gospel tract and say, go over to that biker gang and give it to them. Now, biker gangs, they're not all bad. I mean, some of them are less scary than others. You know, they just go hardcore on the weekends. But some of them are scary guys. Let's say you were, you were in a place where there's a, it's obviously a gang. And they're laughing, they're, they're drinking, they're standing around their cars. And, and, and you know, it's dark outside the 7-Eleven. And, and, and God were to physically hand you that tract and say, go and give that to them. Just an example. You have to make a choice. Who are you more afraid of? Are you more afraid of those gang bangers, or are you more afraid of God? In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. If you feared God and said, I want to do what God wants, even, even if it meant I lost my life, I, I'm going to follow my God. That gives you confidence. See, what we think is, if I, if I follow God, God is going to beat me down and pulverize. No, 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 God is not a man. God's different than men. He does not do that. Man, when he gets power, what do they, what do they say? Absolute power corrupts absolutely, but anything even less than absolute power corrupts to that degree. It's just power corrupts. God, does not, God is not corrupted by power. God has all power. God gave man power, but God is holy. He has never been corrupted. And so when we think of power and authority, we think, well, that person could hurt me. No, no, God has never hurt anyone. He loves them and he takes care of them. The only time he has to punish somebody is, is when they simply refuse to turn from their own sin and he allows them to reap the consequences of their sin. But God has all power. And so if I am recognizing God's power, I'm more concerned about his authority in my life. I will have confidence in other areas. If you're lacking confidence, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm afraid. It comes down to, really, it comes down to a lack of the fear of God. What kills the fear of the Lord in America? Here's some things that kill the fear of the Lord in our culture. Number one, an unwillingness to call anything sin. Nothing is sinful. Be careful. Judge not. Judge not. Well, if I did judge, what would that be? Would it be a sin? If someone were to say to you, well, you shouldn't judge. Well, what if I do? What are you going to do to me? You see, we, we, we don't make any sense anyhow because we don't want anything to be wrong because we feel guilty ourselves. Americans know there's sin in the world. They know there's sin. But they don't want to call anything sin. So they change it. They change it. They say, it's, it, it's not adultery. I fell out of love. How can you help it? When you fall in love, it's not something that you wanted to happen. It just happened. We were star-crossed. So if I fall out of love, that's not my fault either. I mean, I just don't love her anymore. No, it's called adultery. Very, very, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard of a case where a guy said, I just don't love her anymore. I'm going to go live by myself. 
No, they, they, he, he changes his wife and he tries to get an, another model. But we can't call it that. Adultery. Drunkenness. Now we call it alcoholism. And, and pornography is, it's, it's, it's not fornication. It's an addiction that I'm struggling with. No, it's sin. It's wrong. It's wrong. And by the way, the sin in your life is wrong too. Just because nobody preaches about it doesn't mean it's not right. That shows you what you think of God because you read it, but unless it's said, I have people say this sometimes, I heard you say from the pulpit, as if that's somehow authoritative. This is the authority. The amazing thing is that I get to say anything about it at all. And maybe just as amazing as anybody comes to hear it. I have no authority whatsoever other than this book right here. So when you're reading your Bible at home by yourself, it is every bit as authoritative as me or any other preacher standing behind this pulpit. That's a, that's a, that's, I think that's a Catholic mindset, this idea of speaking ex cathedra. You should take everything I say and you should consider it. You should study and see if it is so in the Word of God. And before you come to me and say you're wrong, pray hard and remember how, how, how vulnerable and powerless and weak I really am. No, I, no, I'm serious. If there's something in the Word of God, I may hate it. I may bow up. I may get mad. I, might, I, I don't think that I've ever done that. But, but I have flesh like anybody else's flesh. But at the end of the day, if the Bible says it and I don't preach it that way, I'm wrong and it's right. And it may take me years to get over my pride and change how I preach about it. I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm quick. But, but, but when you, are, you and I are reading the Bible, it is the word of God. We have to remember it has authority for us. It is the authority. Here's another reason that, we, that, that the fear of God is, is gone in America. A lack of consequences for sin. Right? People think there shouldn't be any consequences. I mean, you think about it. In our culture now, when bad things are happening and people are going crazy, people just start breaking windows and stealing stuff. When did that become okay? You got a guy three blocks away, there's a, there's a protest going, people are going crazy and screaming and yelling. And this guy's like, I'm going to go down and get me a TV. No consequences for sin. And, and what's weird is they say now people just steal in broad daylight. They just go into the store, they take stuff, and they walk out the door. Why? I'll tell you, my, my opinion is it's socialism. It's the effects of socialism. The idea that if anyone has anything that I don't have, it's my right to take it from you. If I can get away with it, then it should be mine. But, but it's sin. You know what you ought to do? People ought to be, they ought to be hammered with that stuff. They ought to be hammered for that. Hey, listen, the scripture makes, make, you say, well, what about the poor people? Well, poor, you listen, you don't need to watch TV to stay alive. I'll tell you that. You can't eat it. But I will, I will say the scripture says if a man steals uh, when he has nothing to provide for his family, hey, listen, we understand that, but he needs to pay it back. I've got to throw the book at him for stealing when he's hungry, but he needs to pay it back. It's an amazing thought. This idea, well, I don't have what someone else has. Well, then all of our government and all of American culture needs to be situated to give you what you do not have. That's a good way to tank your economy. It's a good way to destroy your country. 
There's no consequences for sin. The Bible says, if a man will not work, neither should he eat. You know what you should do if somebody that is not seeking gainful employment? You should let him starve to death. Guess what? He won't starve to death. He will go and find food. How do I know that? Hey, listen, I've been around people that would go dumpster diving and find food. We throw away all kinds of food. If you ever worked at a fast food restaurant, you know that's true. That food's got to go somewhere. You're not going to starve to death in America. You know who I feel bad for is the, the kids who don't know any better. That's who I feel badly for. But if there were true consequence for sin, we wouldn't be struggling with this. You know, you ever think about this, going to a funeral? You ever been to a funeral of a bad person? There are no bad people. No, like bad people don't die. Everybody's good. Just, you know, they had their struggles. You know, wouldn't it be nice if somebody just, for once, call a spade a spade and say, no, they were a jerk. I happen to find such a case <laughs> for your listening pleasure. Leslie Ray Sharping was born in Galveston, Texas on November 20, 1942, and passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. You can find this guy on uh, uh, his obituary still on the, the funeral home's website. Leslie battled with cancer in his latter years and lost his battle ultimately due to being the blankety-blank he was known for. He leaves behind two relieved children, a son, Leslie Roy Charping, and daughter, Sheila Smith, along with six grandchildren and countless other victims, including an ex-wife, relatives, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. While enlisted, Leslie was the Navy boxing champion and went on to sufficiently embarrass his family and country by spending the remainder of his service in the Balboa Mental Health Hospital, receiving much-needed mental health care services. Wow. They're not playing around. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. No services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace and no apologies to the family he tortured. Leslie's remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray, the family donkey's wood shavings, run out. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. I... I I would suggest to you that if we actually told what we thought about people in a public way, I think it might actually help some people. You know what they used to do in early America? They used to put people in the stocks. In a public square for stealing. You'd get put on there, your arms, your legs, 
Your hands are out here, and, and people would come by, and guess what they would do? They wouldn't protest against the government. They would throw tomatoes at them and eggs. You say, that's so unharsh, that's so unkind. Yeah, I guess they didn't steal your stuff, did they? I guess they didn't, they, they didn't rape your daughter. I guess they didn't, you know, try to destroy something that belonged to you. See, it's so easy for us to say, well, we need to redeem, redeem. And certainly we need to have some redemption. And I'm, even in that obituary written by a very upset child, listen, who are you to judge how she was treated over the years? We want it all to be okay. And as a result of that, there's no fear in America. No one's afraid of anything. They're not afraid of being embarrassed or shamed. People wear whatever they want all day, every day. They do whatever they want. They listen to whatever music they want. You just have to learn to deal with it. It's their universe. We're just happy to be here with them. That's the way people act. And the reason is because they do not care. They are not afraid. Now, believe me, your minds are spinning. We're all, we've all been trained to do the backstory. Right? We gotta have, we gotta go back and see how was he treated as a child? He was not treated well by his, by his dad. That's why he ended up being a total jerk. Doesn't excuse the fact that he was a total jerk. Doesn't excuse it. And what happens is we begin to relativize. We begin to say, well, yeah, that's bad, but that's bad too. Isn't that exactly what happened in Pharaoh's court? When, when Aaron would perform a miracle and the magicians would mimic, imitate the miracle, and what did it do? It hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why? He said, oh, it's not God. It's, I mean, that's just stuff that these guys know how to do. He minimized it. You know, you ought to sometime, you ought to think, man, and, and, and I, I think you have to be careful with this, but you ought to think sometime when you bang your head on a cabinet, door, on a, on a cabinet corner or something, or you hit your, your, your leg or your ankle, or you twist something and you think, I wonder what I did wrong. Some of that is good. Now, if you live there, everything is, is God punishing you, you've got to be careful. But, but, but I want to remind you that if God wanted to, he could do that. And sometimes I think God does allow those things and maybe even puts those things in your life to help you wake up. I'll prove it to you. Take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Another reason for the lack of the fear of the Lord is a general lack of the fear of any authority. A general lack of fear for authority. First of all, lack of fear of parental authority. Hebrews 12, 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation, the encouragement, the devotional challenge, which that is, which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. What do fools do with wisdom and instruction? They despise it. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice here, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. You know, over some of the last few years, the, the verse that God has tenderly brought to my mind, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That's so comforting. Basically, he's saying, you're a wimp. Suck it up, buttercup. Hey, am I a soldier of the cross? And, and, and am I going to float to heaven on flowery beds of ease? No. 
I must fight if I would reign. We're, we're, you, know, you know what feels uncomfortable? If it feels uncomfortable to you saying something like onward Christian soldiers, you need to buck up a little bit. You, you, need, to, you need to man up a little bit, spiritually speaking. You need to get toughened. Because what you're afraid of, what are you afraid of? Well, I tell you one thing, you're not afraid of God. You must be afraid of the cool kids. Afraid of the cool kids. You know, that can last past high school. That can last your entire life if you let it. You know, one time, I was in a church one time where they had this senior citizens type of meeting and activity and everything. I went to it, and, uh, and I watched the senior citizens line up <laughs> like high school. I kid you not. The dorky people were sitting at a table. All the cool people were sitting together. It was wild. That's what we do as humans. Hey, listen. He says here, the chastening of the Lord and the rebuke of God is intentional. Don't faint when you're rebuked of God. That's why, that, that, that's, that's why it's, you can't make any progress if every time you're, you're like, well, I can't believe in a God who would. I can't believe in a God. Stop making a God in your own image. He said not to do that in the Ten Commandments. Here's the God that you can trust. Learn about him and recognize, yes, uh, God is a God of love. And not just a God of love. He is love. And yet you've got to read further in the Bible. There's other things about God. Look at verse number six. For whom the Lord loveth, he encourageth. No, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Can you imagine that? What is a scourging? Jesus underwent a scourging, didn't he? The Lord scourges people to prove that he loves them. But if you shrink back from God when he does anything that's uncomfortable, it does anything that you, I, I can't, I, no, no, no. You shrink back from God. God wouldn't let that in my life. He would never allow that in my life. If God on purpose brings scourging into people's lives, could it be that God is allowing this scenario because he loves you? You say, well, not my God. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. I can't live in your head. I don't know what you think about God. All I have is the word of God, uh, his words that he put in a, in a book. We have to get comfortable with this vision of God, not our own vision of God. No, I'm not. Are you telling me that, that God made my dad a drunk and he beat my mom and it was because? No, I'm not saying that. We're not talking about people here. We're talking about God. But if you're not careful, you might say God would never, ever punish anyone. And it's not true. God would never bring any kind of chastening in my life. It's not true. For whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth. And then he says in verse number 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? He, he is proving that he cares about you, that you are indeed his child by chastening you. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all, all of God's children partakers, but if you find God's never done anything that I disagree with in my life? He says, then are ye bastards and not sons. You are not, a well, who are your, who's your father? The devil. 
God said, I will chasten every son. Notice, by the way, furthermore, verse 9, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Did you know that it is not illegal to spank your kids? But did you also know that it feels like it's illegal? Whose idea was that? It wasn't God's. I would never lay a hand on my child in anger. But you need to have a real serious conversation with your Father in Heaven. Now, when I say anger, I'm not talking about the child is punished because dad is mad or mom is mad. That's not a reason. Unless it's because mom or dad is angry that a rule was broken. But notice, even in this, he says, we gave them reverence, they corrected us, and it says that they did so after their own pleasure. They chastened us after their own pleasure. God gives leeway. And I'll be honest with you, I know this is a horrible thing to think. Probably some of you buttercups, you need to cover your ears right now. But I would rather have a guy who occasionally just gets mad because he's mad than a guy who has never gotten mad in his life and does not correct his kids when they're wrong. Now, I don't think those are the only two choices to choose. But if I had to choose one, I would choose the guy who just gets mad sometimes. Maybe it's because it's me. Dad's mad. You can hear the, 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 the rumble among the crowd, right? Listen, you learned when to stop by someone forcing you to stop. Why? Your flesh will go, 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 go. And until someone says no, you'll keep going. Dr. Ruckman talked about talking to a warden. And he said, I talked to a war- prison warden one time. And I said, what, do you, what, what have you learned? What have you learned of being a prison warden these years? And the warden said, well, I've learned one thing. The guys that are in here are guys who never learn to feel pain. I don't know about you. I'd rather bring a little pain, physical pain, into my child's life if it would keep him out of prison. I'd rather, I'd rather bring a little pain and some rules and structure it'll, if it'll keep him from a divorce someday. If it'll keep him a, a, a law-abiding citizen. God designs that. Now listen, if in your mind, I want to be careful here because I know some, it's tough for some of you. You had a very rough background. But I will tell you this, even if your dad beat you and he didn't show love and he didn't care for you, I'll tell you one thing I'll bet you're good at is following rules. I'll bet you're good at saying, yes, sir. I'll bet you're good at showing up to work on time and doing your job. What does that mean? God can even take junk and take something and make it good. I'm not encouraging you, and I'm not saying you should beat your child mercilessly. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there needs to be a line where that child feels physical pain. And isn't it amazing? God put a place, like everybody knows where you should spank. It's got all the fat just sitting there waiting Just, right? You say, how much should you be? Hey, that's according to the pleasure of the mom or the dad. I'm sorry. I'm not telling you. Listen, if you think that I'm saying you need to beat those child, you're you're just being being unfair. 
You're being judgmental. That is not what I'm saying. But I am saying, we, in our culture, we've gone so far the other way that people are so afraid of bringing anyone's pain into their life. And then what happens? Those kids blow their top and they make everybody's life miserable. They bring pain into countless people's lives. Why? Because no one ever brought any pain and said, this is the line and you will not cross it. And listen, if you haven't done that in a while, you need to go back through the files and maybe pull out the one where you remember standing up for what you believe, even though everybody... Listen, it might be you've got to stand up even though your, your wife is not standing up. You've got to stand up for her. Sometimes I think it's a, it's, we have to be careful. By the way, the, the, the wife is dele- she's the delegate of the authority when the dad's not around. It's not okay to treat your mom like garbage. He said, honor thy father and mother. One of the reasons why we don't have the fear of the Lord is because we don't have a fear of anyone. No one's afraid of anyone. But I tell you this, what does that mean? It doesn't mean there's a bunch of brave people. A bunch of fools running around. That's what Scripture tells us. But notice, if, if you can, the Lord himself makes a connection here between a father correcting his children and producing reverence in them with the Lord bringing chastisement in the life of a believer, which would produce reverence. Where does the fear of the Lord come from? It comes from a, a, a fear of parental authority. Go, if you would, we're going to look at a bunch of scriptures here. Um, I, I want you to uh, go to um, 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11, look at verse number 5. 1 Samuel 11, 5. Another, another thing that, that has contributed to the lack of the fear of God is the lack of fear for governmental authority. 2 Peter 2.10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Jude 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise, there's that word again, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Well, who are dignities, authorities? Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with, hello, the devil, if there's anybody that needs to be rebuked, it's the devil. But you've got to remember the concept of authority. Michael, the archangel, did not look at the devil and say, you don't have any authority over me. <laughs> what did he say? He said he durst not bring against him a railing accusation. He would not accuse the devil, even though the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He said this, the Lord rebuke thee. Wow. Hey, listen, American Republicans, Christians, we have something to learn about governmental authority. Well, I think Biden's an idiot. You ought to watch your mouth. You cannot take me to Scripture and show me a place where authority is talked like that about. You know why it's so quiet in here? Because Americans have a problem with authority. And the reason why we have a president as we do is because of that very reason. We have no fear of God because we have a lack of fear of anything. 
People line up and they vote for people who are wicked. Why? Because their hearts are wicked. And why? They have no fear of God. You want to get an amen? In any Baptist church in America, say something negative about a governmental authority. And listen, I agree with the sentiment. But Michael would not even rebuke the devil. Put that in your pipe and smoke it sometime when you have time. 1 Samuel 11, verse 5. 1 Samuel 11, 5. Saul is a brand new king. Behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. And Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. They basically said, We're coming to get you. There's nothing you can do about it. We're going to beat you down. We're taking what we want. Just get ready. That's what the men of uh, the, the, uh, the, the, their enemy said. And watch what, what Saul did. Verse 6. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. Can we bring it up to our modern day? He brought a car out in the parking lot, and he set it on fire. And he said, I'm going to burn all of your cars if you don't do what I tell you to do. Well, I just want to know who elected him. Well, if, it, if you have to know, he was the people's choice. And, he, and, 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 and everybody wanted him, but then when he put his foot down, okay, that's a different story, but watch the result. It says, and the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When the authority got angry, God's people started fearing God. By the way, that's the first mention of the fear of the Lord in Scripture. When a guy like that, Saul, who we know the end of his story, but he's still kind of in honeymoon phase as in his reign. And he said, you all better do what I tell you to do, or I'm going to take your stuff and I'm going to destroy it. And they came out. You say, what is that? It's people being afraid of a man. I had a friend of mine that went to prison. And he said, the first thing that happened he said he was told to do it. The first time somebody touched him, and I've never been in prison. I do not know prison etiquette. What I, I understand, they have their own society and their own rules and all that kind of stuff. But he said, I was told the first time anybody touches you, go after him with all of your might. I don't know. If, you, if you've been there and you understand, you can correct me later. But the whole idea is when people know that you stand for something, they have a tendency of going around. Dad, what do you stand for in your home? I suggest this. Have a very short list of rules and actually enforce them. Instead of having a whole bunch of pie-in-the-sky wishes that maybe one day would be nice for us to bring in our house. Hey, stand for something. Mom, what do you have? Will you let your kids push you around? Hey, Grandma, Grandpa, what lines do you have? Hey, those of you that have employees, do you let your employees push you around? You see, what happens, we think we're being kind, but we're actually caught in the fear of man. What's the line that you will not stop, that you will not let someone go past? What are the things that as a believer, someone starts talking gossip in your ear? Have you ever said, 
I don't want to be unkind, but I'd rather not talk about that. You see, we're not allowed to say that. We, we feel that we would, be, we would hurt their feelings as we are talebearers bringing wounds into the belly of someone else. But that's okay as long as they're not here. We certainly wouldn't say it if they were standing in front of us, for sure. We wouldn't say that. But it's okay for us to talk about them when they're not here. Do you have any lines in regarding, as regards gossip in your life? You see, it's the fear of man that brings a snare. But the fear of the Lord is connected with an authority who says, this is the line and I will not let it go. You know what the Lord said when Abraham offered up Isaac? The angel said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. He proved his fear of God by saying, there is no one that I would not sacrifice for you, God. Proved his fear of God. There was no fear of man in the heart of Abraham. Don't you know that Sarah, the morning he left, was saying, Abraham, come on. This is the one that we prayed for. Remember, I laughed and then God rebuked me and we named him Laughter because of that. Remember, are you telling me that the God that would miraculously provide? Come on. Here's a man who would not be swayed by anyone, including the son whom he loved. And the angel said, now I know that you fear God. You see, there is no space between me and God if I'm going to properly fear God. There's no one allowed in between that. God is to be feared. Now let's take our Bibles and go back to uh, the book of, if you would, um, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to show you here something. And the, and the fear of God is a large topic, but I want to start out with it. And it's in, it, it, in some sense, to our American sensibilities, it's a distasteful topic. But if we believe the words of God, we have to believe the only way to get wisdom, the only way to get true knowledge from God is through the fear of the Lord. It's the first proverb. The Bible says, Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now look at Hebrews 12. Nobody, nobody wants a God that you know, we could be afraid of, a God who would punish. But it doesn't change the character of God. It just changes our understanding of him. Hebrews 12, 28. 1228, it says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You'll hear people say sometimes, well, the fear of God, it means a great reverence. And I'm certain that it does. But notice he said reverence and godly fear. Reverence and godly fear, they're not one and the same thing. What is fear? Fear is fear. Fear is fear. Well, I can't believe in a God that I'm afraid of. Well, then you can't believe in the God of the Bible. You have to be afraid of God. You say, well, that, if, I'm, if, I, if I have a God that I'm afraid of, I won't come to him. He's not like your dad. 
He's not like your uncle. He's not like your boss. He is God. You can be afraid of him and you can come close to him. In fact, the more you're afraid of him, the closer you can get to him. You see, it's not just being afraid that God is going to zap me and pulverize me, liquefy me. Right? It's not, he doesn't want to do that. How do I know that? He said that, that he did that to his son on the cross. And now he wants to show me his love and his kindness forever in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 2. He wants to show that to me. But, but the only way I ever get to be close to God is through fear. I fear that he can put soul and body in hell. And by the way, that's my God who I love and follow. He can put me in hell if he chose to. You know the re- only reason why he doesn't is because he promised he wouldn't. And because he gave me the nature of his son. And he loves his son. But not one iota or atom of my physical body is going to go to heaven. I suspect it's going to, if it were possible somehow, it would go to hell. Certainly is going to go into the ground. It will never come into heaven. That's the God that I serve. A God who loves the part of me and hates the flesh. The Bible says that, that the spirit of God is at enmity. It's at war with the flesh. The spirit of God hates my flesh. And my flesh hates God too. I can tell you that right now. Especially hates it when, he, when God tells me I'm supposed to be afraid of him. I ain't afraid of nothing. Oh, Really? Just take a lighter and hold it under your hand for five seconds. I'll bet you'll be afraid of that. But that's the, that's the battle. That's the, the, the dual nature that we have as humans. Now take your Bibles, if you would, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And just in case um, you're thinking, well, that's Old Testament. We, you know, God has given, yeah, that's true, but... We are dealing with the same God. I forgot to read Hebrews 12. Did you see the next verse? Our God is a consuming fire. Not our God was a consuming fire, but he is. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not perfecting holiness because the preacher yelled at me or because my mom and dad always had these rules perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's one reason why you want to bring a little bit of fear into your children's lives so that it can help prepare them to fear someone beyond you. They can fear God. Look look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Who is we? He's talking to the Corinthian believers who are in Christ. He said we are laboring to be accepted of him. That's what he said in Hebrews, whereby we may serve God acceptably. There's some things that God won't accept. What? God doesn't accept me for who I am? Let me cut to the chase. Quick answer. No. He accepts Christ and he accepts you in Christ. But anything that is not in Christ, he does not accept. He said, you have to choose to serve God in an acceptable manner. There's some things that are not acceptable. Look at the next verse. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I would really like that verse not to be in the Bible. But there it is. What does that mean? It means that in heaven, you're going to see the terror of the Lord. The Bible does not say that you are going to be purifying your soul to see whether you're saved. No, it's not about salvation. You would not even be in heaven if you weren't in Christ. You're eternally secure. But the judgment seat of Christ is there. It's there. You say, I I don't want to talk about it. It's distasteful. Okay, well, guess, just show up there and be surprised. Be like, what? What? What?" The Lord said, I tried to tell you. It's in the book. Read it. What does that mean? God's not looking to keep you out of heaven. He wants you there. But he wants to conform you to the image of his son. And what does that mean? It means, hey, stop doing that. That's not what Jesus looks like. Okay. Okay. Did you think it was all, yes, you're doing good. You're doing better. Yes, you're not watching as much porn as you used to. That's good. You're not drinking as much as you used to. You're only smoking one pack a day. Good job. Hey, we're thankful for progress. But you know what God says? Stop it! Stop it! He's not okay with it. Just because you are okay with it doesn't mean he's okay with it. There's coming a day when we're going to look at, you think that Apple keeps track pretty well of what you do on your phone? You know who keeps better track of everything in your life? Jesus Christ. And your works and mine are going to go through the fire and we're going to see the terror of the Lord. What's that going to look like? Some of our, possibly, some of our greatest ideas and thoughts and memories that we treasure are going to be consumed by God at the judgment seat. Some of our greatest endeavors, our projects, the time we spent doing this. And we're going to look at that, and it's not just going to be, you know, a purifying trickle of water coming from the throne. It's going to be a fire that burns it up. It's going to melt it and incinerate it. And we're going to stand there and feel the heat of the blast of that furnace on our face. And we're going to say, wow, God was serious. And boy, you're going to be thankful for Jesus Christ and what he did for you. Because we're going to see for the first time how mad our God can get. Mad about what? I'm happy to tell you, he's not a capricious, arbitrary God who just gets ticked off sometimes because he's angry. No, no, he is a just God. He has never gotten angry unrighteously. He has always been rightfully indignant. But he gets mad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, he said... We persuade men. Now, I understand you can talk about hell and that we want to persuade men because of hell, but the context is the judgment seat of Christ. Take your Bibles and look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse number 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You see, sometimes we think God's okay with everything because I'm okay with stuff. 
Or God's okay with stuff because our church doesn't talk about this or preach about this. You know what would be better, a better uh, a rule of guidance for you to, if you really want to know what God says? Is not talk to a hundred different people. Talk to God about it. And the simplest thing you can do is say, Lord, I promise you, if there's anything in my life that you don't like, would you show it to me in your word and I'll get rid of it. And you might even get rid of it just to prove that you're telling the truth. Just try it out and get rid of it. Just in case God might not like it. That's a different God than the God that we're being sold here in America. You know what we're we're told today? We're told that God is just madly in love and when are you going to call? When are you going to follow me? I really love you and I want to help you. Well, that's true. He is that way. He really does. He sacrificed himself to bring you to him. But can I tell you that if you, if you reject him, you're going to fry like a sausage for eternity. That's the same God. We're not capable of maintaining that level of intensity on the love and, and the hatred side. But God is. That's why we're supposed to prove what is acceptable. Not prove what everybody says is okay on Facebook. Not prove what TikTok Christians are doing, and that's okay. No, prove what's acceptable to God. How will I know that? By reading the Bible. And I will tell you this, there are people who have been reading the Bible before you and after you, and and, and people care about God, and you can look around and see, does that person love God? And maybe God will use that person in your life to help you determine what you should do. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Just because you haven't been destroyed yet doesn't mean you're not a fool. Look at Romans chapter 12. I'll read it for you if you don't want to turn. We've been turning to so many. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm here to tell you that God's not happy with everything you watch on Netflix. God's not happy with everything that you're putting in your mind. He's not happy with every word that you speak. He's not happy with all the ways that you have in your spirit, the things that you buy, and the the things that you wear, the places you go. God's not happy with all of it. How could he be? How could he be okay with all of that? You didn't make the decision to do that stuff because you wanted to please God. So how could he be happy with it? Pastor, please tell me that I can still watch Netflix. Listen, I'm not telling you what to watch or what not to watch. I'm just saying God ain't happy with everything that we do as American Christians. Whether you have a TV or don't have a TV, the flesh finds a way. Finds a way. You know what you ought to be concerned about? Not what other people are doing or what other people are not doing, how you measure up to them. You ought to be looking up to God and get some of the fear of God in your heart. Because you're going to answer directly to him someday. And I am as well. I love to be nice and kind. And I don't know why we have to begin here other than the fact that the book of Proverbs begins here. And I don't know how any other way to sugarcoat the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. To be afraid of God. And if you'll be afraid of God, I will promise you, he will not hurt you, he will help you. There will be times when he brings in chastening into your life for your profit. You know sometimes your mom or your dad just 
smacked you or spanked you because they were frustrated and mad. God has never done that. And don't accuse him of that. He never does things because he's just ticked off at you. He only does things that are righteous. But he will punish you. He will allow you to go through difficult times. You know what the best way to do it? If you, if you feel like you're being punished by God, run to the roar. Go, not run away from dad. Hide from your boss. Run to him and say, here I am. God, I'm sorry. I know I've done something. It feels like you're mad at me. It feels like there's problems in my life. What am I doing that's wrong? You know what we do? We go to other people and say, I just feel like God's mad at me. I, I just feel like sometimes it's like, you know, you read and you pray and you go to church and you try and then it's like, blah. go to God. Go to him and tell him how you're so upset about these things. God loves it when you come and talk to him. I can tell you this, he's not afraid of you. And he's not going to get emotionally upset by you. He's going to help you. He might even show you, well, yeah, this is the area right here. I mean, this is the thing you're struggling with. This is it. God might use somebody else in your life to tell you. See, we don't want God to change us. We want God to fix it all so we're better. God says, no, I'm taking you through difficult times and it's going to hurt. And anytime you want, you can ring the bell and it's over with, but you're going to have to take that class eventually anyhow. You want to quit the class? Fine. When you're ready, we'll come back to that class and start from there. Man, I don't know about you. I don't want to learn the lesson again. I want to learn it right now. And that means getting on my knees and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know I've been letting, you, letting things go in my life, and I'm telling you, God, I'm sorry. I see you in my mind's eye. And I see that you're not happy with what I'm doing. And I humble myself to you, sir. I want to follow you. God loves that. He said, in fact, that's where wisdom starts. It starts right there in the fear of the Lord. The fear of God does a lot of things, and we could talk forever about it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean. It purifies your heart. I'll never forget the feeling that I had many times after a spanking. The Bible says that he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. A spanking has a way of making you not even want to sin. And that's a blessing. You know, when God chastens you, he has a way of making you just not want to hang out with that nasty flesh anymore. Get rid of it. Fear of the Lord will clean you up. It'll purify you. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You're having trouble with your addictions? Run to God and say, God, would you allow me to see you as a consuming fire? Lord, I want to follow you. I want to fear you because I know the fear of you will help get rid of the junk in my life. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. If you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. But if you do fear God, you're opening the door to a magnificent environment that will build you, improve you, 
make you a better, more caring, sensitive, smarter person than you've ever been before. And that door is marked, the fear of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.